Hello and welcome to For Your Reconsideration, the film podcast that heads to the filmic big top to check out the acts. But will we see Francisco the Fearless ready to dive out of a cannon? Or will it be almost the entire Grayson family plummeting to their deaths after they got a bit ahead of themselves? I'm Rob and this is Simon and James. They were heroes. <laughs> that was good. That's that bleak. Good. I'm so sorry. That is yeah. extremely bleak. They're fictional listeners. They are fictional. <laughs> <laughs> dear. Lovely throwback. That was a good one. I didn't know where that was going. I thought it was very jovial and then it just... <laughs> no, it was It was like a, a moment of inspiration. Well, not a good moment, really, but um, anyway. How are you both? Are you okay? Yes, good. Thank you, Robert. Superb, mate. How are you? Oh, special. Well, no... <laughs> Yes, I'm always very special, <laughs> but I'm in I'm in good shape, fellas. Uh, you're a married man now, Si. I am, yeah. That, that probably explains the uh, long hiatus this time of a, a wedding and a honeymoon, which was, yeah, married man. Awesome. Yeah. Well, congratulations. And how? Thank you. Thank it, you. you went to um, to Mexico hunting the cartels. I did go to Mexico. Oh god, it was so good. It was just like breakfast tacos and margaritas on tap. It was. Oh, wonderful. Did you by any chance hire Denzel Washington for personal security? <laughs> <laughs> no, but I wish I did. No, I didn't need it. I didn't need it. The Mexican people were very lovely. Oh, very good. You kept your own C4 in the chocolate store. <laughs> <laughs> so sorry, we've gone off the rails already. It didn't stay in the chocolate store after a few days of uh, the eating. <laughs> to be perfectly honest. <laughs> Shishi weeshi. Um, so, <laughs> moving swiftly on, what have you guys been watching? Uh, right, so I've got quite a few things to rattle through. You'll tell that we'll be able to tell quite soon that we haven't had a proper in-depth convo between the three of us for some time. So, first and foremost, it's not what I've been watching so much as what I've been reading. Oof. So, um, the sequel slash prequel novel to 1995's oh, Heat yeah. was released back in August, mm. and I have been barreling through it, and I am like a pig in the proverbial at the moment. <laughs> oh, man, uh, is it good? Yeah, I love it. I mean, Heat is my favourite movie of the 90s, and it's just been great to go back into that world with those characters. And, uh, yeah, I've been, like, fantasy casting it in my, in my head as I've been reading oh, through. Wow. Do you want to hear who I've got so far? I'll just give you yeah, the... Because it. uh, it's both a prequel and a sequel novel. So it takes place seven years before the film and five years afterwards as well. So um, for Vincent Hanna, I think... Oscar Isaac would be a good would be a good Ooh, show. Yeah, yeah, He's got yeah, a bit yeah. of a young Pacino going on. Mm. For Neil McCauley, I went a little bit left field, I think, with this. John Bernthal, the Punisher oh, himself. I like that. He's got a little bit of a young De Niro yeah. aspect to him. Definitely. Val Kilmer's character, Christian Hillary's, which I can such an unbelievable name, isn't it? I've never been um, I couldn't quite settle on him because Val Kilmer's quite a peculiar sort of screen presence i find so mm. but i don't want to give anything away but he's very much the the focus of the sequel element of the book so i thought maybe chris pine because he could play the younger Ooh, yeah. kilmer and yeah. the one in his 40s as yeah, well yeah and then um for uh, the tom sizemore role of uh, michael chirito 
Cosmo Jarvis from um, yes. Calm With Horses would be a great shout, I think. What an amazing actor he is. I, I saw yeah. someone had mentioned him on, on Twitter the other day saying how there was, I think they were talking about Florence Pugh and, uh, you know, with all the Don't Worry Darling stuff going on. And then someone had mentioned Lady Macbeth yeah. and then said, oh, it's the film that Cosmo Jarvis is like, that you should have noticed him from this film. And there was a bit of a, um, a, a conversation on there about how good he is. He's ready to go, isn't he? He just needs a big, a big. He project, is ready yeah. to pop. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. Um, he was in that. Um, what's it called? That future. Ridley oh, Scott raised by wolves. Program. The Ridley raised Scott program. He was in yeah. that. He was in a few episodes of that, and he was good in that as well. He was like a, a, a different, like against what he usually is. Yeah, he was. Um, he was. He was very good in that. So. Oh, class. Oh. Can we get this film made? Because that casting is superb. Sounds amazing, yeah. <laughs> I know, yeah. Well, Michael Mann wants to do it as a movie. He's doing a Ferrari movie next, and he's like actually making a film, which is great. And oh, and <laughs> finally, uh, Trejo, played by Danny Trejo in the 1995 version. Danny Trejo, why? Yeah, of course. Well, well, it has to be. It's not um, it just has to be, doesn't it? He looks exactly the same now as he did back then as well. Exactly, <laughs> yeah. So is it, it, it? So is it? Does does the book feel like it's from the same cut from the same fabric? Absolutely. As the, yeah. Really. Really hard boiled. Oh, so everyone great. speaks in the really clipped way that Michael Mann characters speak, and it's good. The action sequences are insane. Like, there's loads of action. Really? Oh my god! I, I, I'm desperate. I've got it. I've just haven't had the chance to yeah, dive in. It's really, yet. really good. If you like the movie, did Michael Mann write it? Yeah, so he co-authored it with uh, um, a novelist called uh, Meg Gardiner. Am I, am I pronouncing that? Garden, that's yeah. right, yeah. She, so um, I'm not sure, I've not yeah. read up on it, but my feeling would be that he had sort of a really detailed outline of what the story would be, and she helped him turn it into a into a novel, essentially. Nice. Uh, knowing Meg in the way that I do, which is limited, but also in a professional capacity, um, that is the case. He was super, super, super detailed, and she's a brilliant novelist in her own right. Yeah. So yeah, it's um, it, it's a co-writer thing, isn't it? Obviously, you know he he's the sort of creator of the source material, isn't he? So he has the the uppermost billing on it. But um, if you love um, listeners, if you if you enjoy Heat Two, um, can I suggest Meg Gardner's Unsub series, which is yeah, I'll definitely fun. be checking those out. Full show. Oh, they're so good. Um, that is amazing. I, I'm buzzing now. Yeah, it's really good. That. I'm about 100 pages from the end, and I kind of, I've sort of slowed oh. down with work being busy the last few days, uh, but I don't want it to end, really. <laughs> I just want to go on it to keep going. I really want him to make it into a movie. Nice. So, yeah, let's hope that happens. It's got to happen. It's got to happen. Oh, I hope so. And then uh, just a few other things I just want to rattle through, if that's all right with you guys. So uh, mm. last week was the 40th anniversary of E.T., Steven Spielberg's 1982 <laughs> classic, and it was showing on the big screen. So I, t- <laughs> I took the lad to see it, <laughs> and he loved it. That movie plays really well still, like and... Yeah, just great. He wasn't like Rob, and he won't be traumatised for the rest of his life. (laughs) The curious little fella from the stars. (laughs) Rob is still not into it at all. Um, But yeah, that and uh, John Williams' score in that film. It's not my favourite of his, but it's arguably the most effective, as it... As it crescendos at the end, it's just absolutely incredible what he's able to do. Oh, for, for all my misgivings about the creature, <laughs> um, 
it's an astonishing movie, isn't it? Like in in terms of pure cinema, <laughs> by the end, you know that like when, as you say, when William's score is going, yeah, you're in bits. Absolutely, it was well good. Uh, so I enjoyed that Beast, which is very much a FYR. Uh, kind of movie is Idris Elba oh. and his two daughters lost in the savannah being hunted by a rogue lion. Oh, nice. So from the setup, it's obvious that I was just going to enjoy this movie, even if it, if it was just halfway competently made. But it's way more than that. You know, DJ Big Driss, who we saw in a beat. <laughs> oh, <film>. yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Totally forgot about that. Is super <laughs> solid as an everyman out of his depth. Uh, trying to protect his family and the set pieces are brilliantly handled playing out in these long sort of purposely disorientating technically impressive oneers that never let you get a handle on where the bloody lion is so it's really top stuff and then for the final thing I want to bring up is not so much a recommendation for the film itself so I went to see uh, the new George Miller film 3000 Years of Longing which I'm glad it exists but I, I didn't click with it it didn't really work for me but I was potentially put off more by just a shocking lack of cinema etiquette by someone who oh. sat in the same row as oh, me. Oh, no. What happened? So I'm sat on the aisle, minding my own business, by myself, just waiting for the film to start. And uh, this couple come in and they come and sit uh, in the middle of the row. Absolutely fine, no problem. And then as the film is starting, the guy is not only on his phone, which draws me over there. So this is as the film's starting. The trailers are finished, you know, the titles are coming up. Phone away, please. Anyway, I look I look there and I can see that's illuminated, so that's annoying me. And then I look, something catches my eye, and I can see that he's put his sockless feet onto the chair in front. <laughs> like he's just lolling around in his own front room. Was anyone sat in that seat ahead of him? No, no, it was pretty empty, the screening. So, you know, I was I probably ended up being more disruptive than them two because I was like, I can't have this at all. Like, Throw your in my, arms up in the air. Oh, that disgrace. is in my peripheral vision. <laughs> so I moved back a seat, and that was worse because then I was like in a direct, <laughs> direct line with it. So then I moved forward to the row in front and I was like right I can't see them now let's let's get into the film but then every 15 minutes I'd go I wonder if he's still got his feet his scabby feet on the chair and I'd look over and they're still bloody there oh uh, that is an absolute and that might have been, uh, that might have impaired on my um <laughs> it might not have improved my enthusiasm for the picture picture uh, on the on the whole so uh yeah what have you ever seen anything like that in the cinema? What's the worst sort of etiquette you've seen in the cinema? In um, watching, oh, what was it called? Uh, K- no, the one with um, Grace Chloe Moretz or Chloe Grace Moretz. Kick-ass. And kick that's yeah. it, yeah. Uh, someone walked in with um, two women, uh, walked in. They'd obviously been on the, um, you know, the post five o'clock lines yeah. <laughs> yeah um and they had um bags of pick and mix and i don't mean like bags like little paper bags but tesco carrier bags um and a watermelon and a squash racket oh, oh my god it was the most bizarre combination of things and like you would be forgiven for thinking that they tried to carve their way into the watermelon with the squash racket they didn't open the watermelon it was just the fact they kept dropping it it was like boom <laughs> boom boom <laughs> And then the squash I've had loads, but there was one that really like sticks out in my mind. And it, the Planet of the Apes movies, uh, something always happens when I go to the cinema to watch the Planet <laughs> of the Apes movies. So the first one, 
the the James Franco one, the, the sort of rebooted ones. Yeah. There was a guy who was just constantly on his phone for out. And then when my brother uh went my brother went to the toilet and on his way back he said, Will you turn your phone off, please, mate? Not realising that the guy was the biggest guy you've ever seen. Uh, and then proper story was like, You what, mate? You what? And squared up to my brother. My brother was like, eh, okay. <laughs> Just cowered back to his seat. And then um and we, we was like all of our family. My dad was there as well, it was like all of our family. And then uh, on the way out, we we left the cinema and we saw him waiting for us. Oh god! <laughs> and it was just like, oh, no. oh my god, this is so, so. We just kind of like, okay, he's not seen us. Let's just like sidewalk this way <laughs> and oh, run away. My word. And then in the second Planet of the Apes film, <laughs> I love the, the sequel, the true trilogy. Honestly, it's so bizarre. <laughs> um, on my, I was sat on my own. I was about three seats from the front because I like to be that close when I'm on my own because. I don't get the distractions from... Yeah, I do that I too. Say. I do that as well. Kindred spirits. So 25 <laughs> minutes in, like not even like post-credits or at the end of the trailer, 25 minutes into the film, a family come in, like a family of like six with uh, an usher, all got the bloody torches on their iPhones on. Where we sat? Where we... Like, shouting full, like, where we sat? Where we... Oh, we're down here. Down here. Like, oh, I, oh, Karen, come down here. And then they go down, and then, and I was like, they're going to be sat next to me, aren't they? And then, of course, they are sat on my row. They plant themselves right next to me. Guys, like, you're right, mate. Yeah, you're right. I was like, I'm trying to watch the fucking movie. And then um, <laughs> they then proceed to pull out a full-on meal. So they have like, uh, he pulls out a big um, Tupperware, opens the Tupperware, and it's all like foiled wrapped like burgers or something. So he dishes <laughs> them out to his family. And they're just having a picnic, and they're like, just looking at him, like, what are you doing? You absolute <laughs> lunatic! And I just and 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 I had to go and watch that film again because it pissed me off so much because I was like, I film shit, and but because of this bloody family coming half an hour into the film to have a picnic. Can't have a oh, barbecue. Was... Bring, bringing cooked foods into the cinema Outrageous. is just not on, isn't it? Oh my god! But it, it was just as if like it was nothing, as if like we were we were at a, a football match or something. It was like yeah, so weird, so weird. People are dickheads. Basically. <laughs> well, we're a hell of a species, aren't we? The, the oh, human geez. race. Um, tell me, you got to watch the third one without problem? Um, I did actually. The third one was was, was oh, jolly god, fine. Honestly. I think. I think there was a girl with a massive bag of Doritos, but I was like, okay, this is this is small stuff compared to <laughs> yeah. This is chump change compared to, the- <laughs> <laughs> compared to the people who bought the entire Castle family beachside barbecue with Roy Scheider. <laughs> I, am, I am so irritable when it comes to watching films in the cinema, so I just, yeah, I'm... I get so angry. <laughs> yeah. But you've t- paid your I money. Be, yeah, I tend oh, to yeah. be a bit more chilled out because I understand that people aren't as into movies as I am and some people just go for a release and what have you and, you know, a bit of entertainment or whatnot. So 
you know, a bit of whispering and stuff like that. You know, we've all been caught talking in class when we shouldn't be. Oh, yeah. <laughs> One time or another, so I can let it go as long as it's not too persistent. But cheesy feet on a, on a chair is just where <laughs> that I is, draw that the is, line. That's heinous. A line, a line has been crossed there, really. Has it's been crossed then, burnt. Incinerate. <laughs> <Yes. laughs> oh, my gosh. Um, James, was there anything else you wanted to shout out? No, no, sorry. I feel like I've monopolised the opening, but I had to get your guys' view on oh, that. Oh, no, I Totally me agree. being a lunatic. Totally <laughs> agree. Uh, so, what have you been uh, been enjoying? Yeah, I mean, well, obviously, I've been a wee bit busy on my honeymoon oh, yeah. and, and whatnot. Um, but I, I did use the long haul flight to Mexico to catch up on some stuff. I mean, mostly rubbish stuff, to be fair. That I don't mind seeing cropped and scaled with you know edits where all the swear words are dubbed out, like "Oh, you melon farmer." That's sort of <laughs> Um but I did watch one film called After Yang, which I'd, I'd never heard of before, um, but it completely blew me away. And it's just this like low-key family drama set in the future where Colin Farrell goes on a bit of an emotional journey as he tries to repair his daughter's beloved android companion, which is like broken down. Um, and yeah, I'm not, I'm not sure whether it was the high altitude of the flight, but I just found it to be one of the most measured gentle and beautiful movies i've ever seen actually it was just the way it was shot was gorgeous and it was also calm and you know it was just a a lovely lovely film and it's about like colin farrell reconnecting with his family who have have got distant and he didn't notice there was distance there between them and um it's got like a real sort of subtle futuristic aesthetic which is absolutely perfect it's just it's a really good movie. I've I'd never heard of it before. It was right up my street, and it was just a, a a really really nice film. And Colin Farrell is such a good actor. Yes, and I don't I don't think he ever gets the mm. credit he deserves. I think people know he's a good actor, considering what he's done and the range he does. Yeah. He can do any genre. Mm. Well, he's become a bit of a character actor now, hasn't he? Rather than yeah. you know when he was trying to be a leading man, it never quite worked for him but um he's getting really good reviews for the new martin mcdonough he is, film he? that he's yeah. in and they think he amazing. might get an oscar nom yeah next year um it got a 13 minute standing ovation at venice so i don't know if that's good or not they pro- imagine <laughs> clapping anything for that long i know i do, it is a bit fucking it well Phil, they're all just like Brown noses, aren't they? That's why. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you imagine being the first to sit down during an ovation. Yeah, like, do, do, do I? Gonna, do I'm just I gonna. <laughs> um, I did love the the Brendan Fraser one though, where everyone was stood up applauding the movie, and he was just sat down, just like just taking it all in, and just. Yeah. And then Aronofsky came over and like told him to get up, and everyone clapped him, and it was yeah. It was very, it was very nice. That I like that he's what, making a comeback. I do, uh, yeah, I love yeah, that. He seems yeah. like a good dude. Very, it's a, it's a very good news story. Good for news Hollywood, story, yeah, I love that, it? yeah, yeah. Um, but no, I, I just think Colin Farrell is way, way better than I think he's one of the best actors around. Actually, I just think he he's is. really, really good. Totally agree. He was. I, I know the series gets much maligned, but um, True Detective season two, he was amazing in it. Yeah, he's good. He's really good. Yeah. Um, also. Uh, I've had a random couple of sessions piling in the Purge movies, um, which I'd only ever seen the second one. For, for you know, I hadn't seen the rest of them, so we we sat down and watched all of them. I think they're really bloody good movies. They are I good think, movies. Yeah, yeah, I think they're just so entertaining, and you know, it's very on the nose with its like 
political commentary and it you can't really call it subtext when it's so blatant mm. but um i think what what the films are saying is 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 really on point and as time's gone on since those films were first made it's a frightening reflection of where the world's headed i think oddly it's very prescient there was a, there's a bit in the third one and it just predicts the riot um, the Capitol building riot. Goodness me! Um, and it was that was like six years ago when it was Jeez. when it came out. Yeah, I th- yeah, I think they're really good. Which was your favourite, Sai? Um, I've got one more left. I've got the Forever Purge left to watch, but yeah, I've not seen that one yet either. At the minute, I think the the second and third one are the best ones. Yeah, we obviously did the Purge Anarchy. Didn't yes, we, we did. We did do the Purge Anarchy. Yeah, we chilly did. Um, but that that's the one where the the first one, the first one's probably the weakest. Actually, it's a good yeah. idea, but not. Yeah, it's just a home invasion dump. thriller, isn't it? Really? Yeah, and yeah. I guess it's because of budget, because they, they, you know, it's all one location. Um, you know, low budget film made loads of money, so then they could expand on it a bit in the sequels. But yeah, the second and third one are great. It was just a shame that the from the other sequels, the third and fourth one, because the second one's got a really like seventies vibe to it. Yeah, but then they kind of jettison that on the third one, and it's like, oh, it's a shame you didn't carry that on. Um, you know, in terms of how like grotty it is and how yeah, like um, you know, it's all grainy the the film stock and stuff, but it's all a bit clean, I think. But um, no, they're good movies. They're really good movies. Cool, I cool. Like yeah. Nice, Rob. What have you been watching? Uh, well, I've watched a couple of things actually. Um, I'll just go quickly with what I've read because you inspired me, James. Um, I've read uh, recently Don Winslow's City on Fire. Um, oh, I read that as well, yeah. Oh, I, I, I mentioned this because it's it's. I think it's all been signed up for a film adaptation. Yeah. Um, but it's the first of a trilogy as well. Super filmic, super... It's in the same sort of vein as Heat, really, isn't it? Like, yeah. just whip crack along and, oh my God, no one's safe. And yeah, super stuff. Um, I listened to it on audio while I was laying laminate flooring one weekend. Um, so oh, there you nice. go. Yeah, what a yeah. good way to lay laminate flooring. <laughs> yeah, I, I wish it had maybe do a better job. I absolutely butchered it. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's something I wouldn't wouldn't oh, take man, no. my hand to. Like tiling, now nah, I get someone else in. I oh no, tiling is a painting definite. I can do. I thought I could line up this like a jigsaw. Nope, it's like an ice rink <laughs> in here. No way. Um, <laughs> um, I. Got hot off the vibe of uh, talking about Prey in our last episode. Um, I finally watched The Predator. Shane Black's The Predator. Um, mm. Flipping loved it. Did you? <laughs> Unapologetically. Yeah. I'll bat for that movie. No problem. I, I'm with you. I found it... Um... I found it once I realized it was more of a comedy. Yeah. And I jumped on board with the comedy of it. I, I really enjoyed a lot of it. Sterling K. Brown is it's amazing. He's, he's unbelievable. He's so that good movie, it. isn't it? It's a shame his death is so rushed, but like it is yeah. so. Because I thought, like, given what he'd done in the movie up to that point, I thought he deserved a mega death. But, um, <laughs> like, yeah, no, I totally agree. Totally, totally agree. Um, I, I, it's just, you could tell that the, the third act has been rewritten and hacked to yeah, pieces. Yeah, the, the whole thing felt like it had been very interfered yes. with for no good reason. Yeah. Mm. But so, so, I mean, some of the effects in turn are poor. Some are absolutely amazing. Yeah. It's, it's a really weird hotchpotch of a movie. Above all else, on a weekend evening with a beer, I had an absolute pile of fun with it. Um, oh, good. Yeah. Maybe yeah. one for the pod in future? Oh, I think we could do. Another well, yeah. predator. Another, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Why not? Why not? Really enjoyed it. Um, also, so, sorry, I should have bookended positive stuff 
on either side of this one. But I've been watching um, Conversations with the Killer, the John Wayne Gacy tapes on um, Netflix. Boy, that's bleak. <laughs> I don't know what he, that is. I don't, oh, I uh, John better. Wayne Gacy was a very, very terrible serial killer. Um, wow. And um, it's uh, the tapes of his conversations with his, yeah, legal representation. Oh. And hearing someone who's done those things speaking so frankly about these things, oh, it's pretty gross and pretty yeah. awful. But um, these these programs are a bit like catnip. You know, when you press play on them, and oh, you end up the like true just crime like, stuff is yeah it's yeah you just so get sucked addictive. in horrendously, and you just can't help but listen and watch. And also, there's a there's a historical context to wanting to, you know, do the right thing. You know what I mean? Like like. Forewarned is forearmed. Um, there will be more people like this in future. Uh, that kind of thing. Yeah. I'm not saying because I've watched a Netflix documentary about John Wayne Gacy, I'll be able to <laughs> spot the next serial killer. But you know what I mean? It's like one of those, yeah, these boogeymen live around, live among us. It's astonishing. Um, mm. With that, I'm going to um, bring up the levity uh, by taking us back to Bigfoot Corner. Bigfoot Corner. So, the big news, <laughs> the massive news. Can is... we give an intro for anyone who's might have the? This might be their first ever episode <laughs> of the podcast. <laughs> um, so, so basically, um, yeah, it, it turned out that a lot of my recommendations featured Bigfoot, <laughs> and it was suggested by both listeners and my colleagues alike here that we make it a regular feature that I speak about Bigfoot. Um, yeah, this is not indicative of the rest of the episode. I will keep it extremely brief. <laughs> What's the big brown machine been up to this week? Oh, I love I love that you, you said it, not me. So, uh, no, it's really a public service <laughs> announcement. September 24th, it's the Bigfoot and Friends cryptid celebration in Salem, Virginia. Um, you can get tickets on the day if you need to you can get a, a stay <laughs> your <at> commission <laughs> you can get a stay at the hampton inn in salem uh, the comfort inn suites at ridgewood farms is the, this an advert <laughs> we haven't been made or the courtyard marriott at roanoke airport but uh, but be sure to mention you're part of the group rate the group named bigfoot and friends celebration for a special rate uh, <laughs> Are we going? I feel like we should I, go. Well, I, If we're not invited, what is the point, honestly? Um, but some actual movie-based Bigfoot news. Jesse Eisenberg has come out to say that the next role he's doing is his toughest yet as the big brown machine. Um, no. It, yes, he's playing uh, Bigfoot. Uh, in the in a movie directed by the acclaimed Zellner brothers, um, a quote from Jesse himself, who's 38, said, I play a Sasquatch in full makeup, in full body hair, no lines. I grunt, but no lines. I'm so looking forward to this. Uh, he said that to Variety. So I'm guessing it's happening. Wow. Crikey. That is your update from the Bigfoot world. Actual Bigfoot news. Bigfoot Corner. Lovely. <laughs> Two bouts of it. One that sounded yeah. like a shameless plug. Yeah. For an event we have no affiliation with and will be receiving no funds from. No, I really hope you get some form of, uh, even if it's just like a key ring or something. You know what? When 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 Bigfoot news is thin on the ground, you really have to go to the trenches. <laughs> uh, fellas, right. What is? <laughs> I suppose it's time for tonight's movie. <laughs> If we don't get an invitation to that damn festival, I mean, what is the point? <laughs> I'll go. September 24th, I'll go. Bigfoot and Friends, oh. the cryptid celebration. Are you in? 
so funny. I'd, I'd so be so be it if it wasn't a ten hour flight or whatever. <laughs> but if it, if it was fully comped, here's looking at you, Bigfoot and friends. Um, oh, if it's fully comped, I'm there. Get me right in there. Listen, you heard it here first. Come on, let's make this happen, people. Let's talk. Uh, <laughs> right. So, whose pick was it this week? It was mine. James, what have you got for us? So, uh, would you guys like a logline? <laughs> oh, I'm bursting, I'm bursting for one. Give me some love li- logline. Logline? Okay. What love is line. that? Look, give me a loveline. <laughs> Goodness <laughs> <laughs> me, shishi wishy. You're not on your honeymoon now, Simon. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, so, enough with that filth. Right, let's go. <laughs> yeah, let's go to something much more wholesome. <laughs> much more refined. <laughs> So, um, a supremely overqualified Larry Fishburne and a ragtag crew of ham sandwiches investigate a spaceship that disappeared years ago and has now returned. And it goes about as well as you'd expect. The film is, of course, Paul, don't confuse me with PTA Anderson's magnum opus, Event Horizon. At 0300 this morning, TDRS picked up an automated navigation beacon broadcasting at two-minute intervals in Neptune orbit. Neptune orbit. This is incredible. It's the event horizon. She's come back. The event horizon is the culmination of a secret government project to create a spacecraft capable of faster-than-light flight. The ship doesn't really go faster than light. What it does is it creates a dimensional gateway that allows it to jump instantaneously from one point of the universe to another light years away. Where has she been for the last seven years, Doctor? That's what we're here to find out. After seven years in deep space... There were 18 people on board this ship when it disappeared. I want them all accounted for. Opening outer door. It came back abandoned. Any crew? Negative. This place is a tomb. But it didn't come back alone. Captain Miller! I've got some problems here! This ship has been beyond the boundaries of our universe. Who knows where it's been and what it's brought back with it. The ship is reacting to us and the reactions are getting stronger. What are you telling me? That this ship is alive? I have such wonderful things to show you. Oh my God. It knows my secrets. It knows my fears. Vacate, I want off this ship. I can't leave. She won't let you. God help us. Goodness gracious me. Event Horizon. Sai, I saw this tweet from you a couple of days ago, which was about your teacher talking about hyperbole and saying hyperbole. Hyperbole, yeah. She genuinely dead serious in a in an English lesson. She went, and this is called hyperbole and wrote <laughs> on the board. And everyone was like, Are you sure that's how you say it? <laughs> So, because I was exactly the same. I thought it was hyperbole. Um, 
as in like you would say Super Bowl, like let's go to the Hyper Bowl. So with Event Horizon, if you um, had, had first learned the word chorizo, you would think this is Event Horizon. <laughs> That way, bloody end game for that, Jesus. <laughs> it's all I could think about today. Uh, James, why did you pick uh, Event Horizon? That's 30 seconds you can cut anyway, Simon. <laughs> Ish, don't think so. Sorry, that'll just cue me up again, uh, Rob. <laughs> so why did you pick uh, this movie? Uh, right, so uh, let's let's go back in time a little bit. So we've been doing this podcast for what, getting on for four years now. Jesus. And about three years ago, we were very much in our infancy as podcasters, and uh, we decided to cover a film called Event Horizon. And we had a fantastic chat from what I remember. Beers were drank. We had lots and lots of fun. And now I'm not pointing any fingers at anyone, but someone <laughs> forgot to record their side of the conversation. And that episode was lost forever. And, you know, you know, we're not, we don't want to make anyone feel bad at all. Everyone makes mistakes. <laughs> <laughs> we will not disclose who it was. James. Uh, All right, well, we... if it's going to be a witch hunt. <laughs> <laughs> it, was, it was a Halloween special as well, wasn't it? It was, like, yeah, 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 it was, yeah. Uh, so anyway, um, so yeah, that was one reason for bringing it back to the pod to actually get it out into the into the public space. Now that we're more refined at our craft, I would say, even if we're not as regular as we used to be. Yeah. And another reason was... And probably a more important reason was the film has been reclaimed as an overlooked cult classic uh, from the 90s over the last few years. So much so that it's just been reissued with a 4K collector's edition for the 25th anniversary uh, this past well, I August. Didn't know that. So, yeah, I didn't yeah, know you that. can I'm get, honest. you can own Event Horizon on 4K now. Where, what, what? what? Since when has this been available? Uh, August. They've got a collector's edition available. Superb. And we like it'll have like a commentary track on it as well, won't it? Um, yeah. I wonder if they managed to salvage any of the deleted scenes for it. No, oh, I don't nice. think so. I think there's only like a video. I was reading this on the IMDb trivia, and apparently the original cut was 130 minutes, but it was so violent and out of order that the studio made uh, Paul Anderson cut it down. Oh, my God. Um, and he feels like he took 10 minutes too much out of it, and he was hoping to salvage that, but they don't seem to have the negatives anymore in order to do a Such full a director's cut. Jeez. Um, can I just add a little context to the 4K edition, because I've just had a quick look. Um, it has completely sold out on the Big South American River website, so you can only get one second hand for 114 quid. Yes, that, that's, so that'll be the collector's edition. I'm yeah. sure they've got the standard sort of 4K. No, they don't. 4K. Not Do in they 4K. Not have that? No, the, oh, no. The, the whole 4K is gone. Oh, wow, it's a real collector's edition. It is, now, yeah. Then. You can get the Blu-ray for 22.48, the DVD for 5 and you can get a VHS for 74p. Oh, there we go. So you can still get it, um, but they're at slightly different ends of the resolution scale. <laughs> I think it's like try and find it in a car boot or a charity shop. Yeah, VHS, and you'll you may get the longer edition. Oh wow! But yeah, well, I might get. I might get. So that. yeah, it's a, a true cult movie. So I thought it was time that we brought it back to the pod and see how it holds up. Oh yeah, no. I... 
very excited um, about it. So what's your relationship with the movie then, James? So for me, this was a big video shop rental back in the 90s. I think I was maybe 14 or 15 when this film came out, so obviously couldn't go to the go to the cinema to see it, but I, I did see it um, back in the 90s. Uh, and it had a really gnarly reputation and was very much the talk of the school back when I was 14, 15. And when I eventually saw it, it, it didn't disappoint at all. Like, it was one of the most mental things I've ever seen. <laughs> and I think part of that is adolescents who were watching that movie back then, you know, people who weren't necessarily old enough to go and actually see it at the cinema are the ones who generated this cult status mm, around this absolutely. movie. Absolutely, yeah. Um, so, yeah, I wonder, is it was it similar at your school, If you do you remember? Yeah, for me, this was definitely one of those films I watched as a mischievous teenager with my brother because, you know, being too young to go see the cinema. And I think, like, we were aware, you know, we knew we weren't supposed to watch it. I remember my mate coming into school and being like, oh, there's this film, right, and it's about this spaceship which disappears and it goes to hell and then comes back. I mean, it's not it's not strictly that, but it <laughs> sold it really well. And yeah. we were like, uh, yeah, and, and it was just the perfect movie for, like, when you go to your mate's house, when a few of you all go to a mate's house and sleep over and, you know, you're up all night playing video games, eating crisps, getting juiced up on sugary drinks because there's no alcohol. We didn't drink alcohol. We weren't underage drinkers. Um and yeah, when you're at that age as well, you've got no preconceptions. There's no critical bar in terms of the filmmaking yeah. prowess. Um, you just watch it in the moment. And and as you said, James, as an adolescent teenage boy, you kind of get your jollies on a bit of gore and you know the, the scary stuff and a bit of a madcap sort of idea. So I remember just absolutely loving this. And then when I became more aware of movies and the craft of movies, and then more privy to its reception on release, and which we'll get to soon, of how badly it went down. It, yeah, it's great that we can have it on the podcast. So, yeah, thanks, James, for, for bringing it back. It's goddamn ta- about goddamn time it came back. <laughs> <laughs> um, I must admit, I, I, I elicited, elicited? I escaped a audible um, whoop of joy when you mentioned this because... Um, I've steered clear of it. You know, like when you channel surfing late at night and whatever, every now and then you see it and it's like, no, 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 the time's not right because I'm saving <laughs> it for when we do it again. And then when you said it, I was like, oh, so excited to go back to this for reasons that we will discuss. But um, my, like back back then in 97, we're saying here? Yeah, 97, yeah. I was aware that it was a hardcore horror sci-fi. Like, and that's pretty much it. Um, I didn't watch it or anything like that. None of my friends had it because my friends who were into the sort of like the more, you know, where we were swapping VHSs, it was always Van Damme VHSs. So it wasn't, you know, things by the great Paul W.S. Anderson <laughs> that we were trading. Um, so, um, and I don't say that with, you know, rudeness, although it sounded like I did a bit. Um, so, yeah, I, I only watched this, I think... Oh, I think I watched it in the early 2000s for the first time. And I remember thinking like, sheesh, that's heavy going. And then watching it again three years ago for this was a whole different experience, which we will discuss because obviously I watched it again for for today. So yeah, no real relationship with it at all. Just passing, aware of it being gratuitous. And that's about it, really. 
Um, mm. Yeah. So it must qualify then in which case. So James, is it on the numbers? Uh, surprisingly, it is actually. So, I mean, not probably not surprisingly, given that it's a cult movie and for something to become a cult movie, it sort of has to fail on its initial release um, and then be rediscovered afterwards. So Event Horizon was released on... August 15th, 1997, and was something of a box office bomb, grossing only $26.6 million in the US and a, a further $16 million uh, internationally for a total gross of $42 million, which is um, against a $60 million oh, budget. Wow. wow. Which, I one, I didn't think it was that expensive mm, so. um, because three years earlier, Jurassic Park was made for the same amount of money. And, uh, and I was under the misconception that it was critically not liked, but it had probably done all right on... Um, uh, on its initial release because, you know, Paul W.S. Anderson is still working today. So I assumed that if it had bombed really badly, it would have killed his career as well because he was still an up-and-coming director at this point. It's only yeah. third. Second third. movie, was it? Uh, this is his second Hollywood movie's third film in total. Wow. Um, so I assumed if this had bombed, it would have been, um, you know, the curtains for his career. But I think he made that huge movie with Kurt Russell, Straight after this one, Soldier. Soldier. Oh, which was gosh, an even yeah. bigger budget, and that also bombed. I'm not sure how he's still working. Wow. To be honest. <laughs> um, obviously, then got the Resident Evil franchise, and they've made lo- boatloads of money, those movies. Um, yeah. But yeah, uh, I was surprised by how poorly it had done at the box office. But again, it, looking into this, I haven't got the exact figures, but it did really well on video and DVD when it went to home home video and i think that's from all those adolescent kids watching it when they shouldn't be and all getting hold of the videotape and buying it from and whatnot and uh thinking that it was like you know this uh it's funny how things change as you mature i yeah. think like it's gone from being a really gnarly horror movie to not necessarily that as uh now that i'm a bit older i love that and i love that how how that generation that you're talking about has somehow driven this sell out steelbook on amazon <laughs> you know? yeah absolutely yeah because yeah. now we're all old enough with with wages to pay for that shit yeah so yeah yeah why... i want yeah. me a 4k event horizon Flip it in. in fairness that was 30 pounds when it was out a few when it was still in stock a few weeks ago it's just because there's none available that it's gone to 150 no seriously <laughs> it came out it came out on 8th of august today is the 9th of september within yeah, a month sold it's out totally everywhere. sold yeah. out everywhere yeah. that is amazing yeah that is <laughs> sheesh so um well, I mean, <laughs> we've got qualification. Are we going to go for the double whammy, side? Oh, absolutely, double whammy. It's, yeah, I mean, it's absolutely, it's absolutely outrageous. This um, <laughs> critically, Event Horizon currently sits at thirty percent on Rotten Tomatoes, which is actually a bit of a rise from when we originally recorded. It was twenty-seven when we first recorded. Oh, right, yeah. So it's gone up a critical re- reappraisal goes yeah. on. Yeah, uh, <laughs> someone must have reviewed the um, 25th anniversary Blu-ray, uh, and then 35 out of 100 on Metacritic. It just did not go down well upon release at all. Uh, Roger Ebert said it's all style, climax, and special effects, where the rules change with every scene. And Ryan Gilby of the Independent called it a loud and nasty hunk of science fiction. <laughs> it was pretty much across the board in terms of the press review because at the time when it came out, you critics were mainly just press press people. There, there were a couple of positive takes though. Ian Nathan of Vampire gave it three stars. Um, said it doesn't just borrow from fine anti- 
uh, how do you say this word? I meant to uh, YouTube this to see how you say it. Anti, an, oh, I don't anti, know. Antecedents. Antecedents, yes, there you go. Um, it doesn't just borrow from fine antecedents. Thanks, Rob. It takes their future shock value to new heights using genuinely original effects and creepy camera work to great effect. So, yeah, th- there was a couple of like mildly positive ones, but generally it was just everyone just really did not like it. Um, Audience-wise... It's a lot more positive. 8 out of 10 on Metacritic um, and a fairly decent 61% on Rotten Tomatoes. And a 3.3 on Letterboxd, so slightly higher than mm. the sort of average we usually get on here. Yeah, it's the reappraisal. It's the reappraisal. Mm. It's coming. The top review on Letterboxd is... Um, <laughs> is, <laughs> is Imagine making this and Buggy Nights in the same year. Incredible range. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, okay. There's uh, reviews such as Matt Lynch, uh, who wished all stupid derivative genre crap look this good. Yeah. <laughs> it gets crazy just because it can, and funny without shitty ironic winking. Um, and Cara, who reviewed it recently, who simply said, this movie slaps, end up. It slaps it's true. Slaps is good. Yeah, it slaps is good. Yeah, that's a that's a modern phrase for the kids. Awesome. There, Rob. Thank you. Um, but yeah, it's... Um, yeah, critics did not like it. I think the sheriff did not review it. Um, oh, God unfortunately. damn it! His his San Francisco Chronicle colleague did give it three stars though, and was kind of mildly positive on it. But it, on the whole, was like, yeah, it's not very good. <laughs> <laughs> awesome, awesome. Um, I think yeah, those those. It's funny how these films, you know, certainly from the nineties, get reappraised. Uh, like very, I, I don't know. It seems very quickly sometimes, but then again, it's not. It's been twenty five years. I know, I know. Uh, you is think it sci fi in general though, or is it not? It, it seems sci fi. It's a very running theme with sci fi. You're right. I know actually. this is more of a horror than a sci fi. No, but you're fair. right, Sai. You are right. But sci fi films generally take a while to sort of like settle in with everyone. Yeah. Is it because it's so outlandish and a bit and so ridiculous that people at the time are like, this is preposterous and can't follow this. And then as the world catches up with the film, then they kind of go, oh yeah, it's actually got some good ideas in that movie. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. Cause like back in the nineties, you had like your top tier filmmakers making blockbusters like James Cameron and, and Spielberg, just to name a couple, they made blockbusters. So they were seen as, they were seen as elevated above that. And now, I think something like Event Horizon, whether you think it's good or not, it's clearly directed by a person with a singular vision. Mm. And it doesn't feel like it's been made by a committee at all. And it looks really, really good. Uh, and as, which is unsurprising because it was shot by Adrian Biddle, who shot Aliens, Thelma and Louise, and The World Is Not Enough. So what a real great wow. DP. Yeah. Um and it just feels authored in a way that a lot of modern blockbusters don't so much. So I think when these reappraisals come around, it's like, fucking hell, they used to do balmy shit in the 90s. Yeah. Because everything just sort of looks the same nowadays. Absolutely. It's, it's a, like when you look at the movies that came out at the same time as well. Yeah. It's not really a blockbuster. It's, it's, an, it's an 18, surely. Yeah. Um, uh, R, R-rated in, in the States. But it's like Con Air was out. That summer, Fifth Element yeah. was out. Men in Black, Face Off. Face off. So, <laughs> one of the greatest 90s the, movies ever. 
<laughs> yeah, so it, it it's up against those like catch all low you know the movies that kind of get away with the lower lower rating mm. to to get that to net that wider audience and yeah. they're all f- funny films as well they've, they've all got a hint of comedy in them whereas this has not got any comedy <laughs> i don't know i found it quite funny <laughs> <laughs> there is one obvious comic relief character that <laughs> yeah. um, oh cooper yeah of course oh, yeah cooper. yeah i thought you meant sam neil he's hilarious in this movie <laughs> We'll get. We will get to him. Goodness. So yeah, me. maybe maybe that's why it sort of didn't do so well at the box office because what people were wanting at the time was that sort of grounded action comedy type with film. big stars as well. You know, yeah. I love Lawrence Fishburne and Sam Neill, but they're not A list Hollywood stars. Yeah, they're, they're, they're right. Real. Get out. That's <laughs> no, no. Just in the in the <laughs> to us they are, but not. Yeah, yeah. Not no, in I, the I know, do know what you mean. Minds of the general public. Uh, yeah, I, I think what we'll, so. So next week, I'm um, going on to the tapes, our sister podcast, the tapes, to talk about um, in the mouth of madness, the um, John Carpenter movie. Yeah, which is came out the year after Jurassic Park, um, starring Sam Neill. Oh, class! Wow. Yeah, lovely. I've not watched it yet. I've watched the trailer. It's like, how did this pass me by? I've got no idea. So I'm really looking forward to it. But you're absolutely right. Sam Neill is one of those characters that, sorry, one of those actors that um, is so dependable, but he's so locked into that thing that we know so well, isn't he? Yeah. And it's so hard to separate him from this. Um, so it's it's weird and wonderful and refreshing to see him not doing those things. But I, he's always my Alan Grant, even when he's pulling his eyes out. Yeah. <laughs> Alan. Alan. <laughs> Alan. <laughs> Should we get into the movie? Yes, let's I dive think, I think, into yeah. the Let's go to space. Um, straight away, we have a lovely pumping action-y score. And, um, well, we're definitely in the 90s, aren't oh, we? For sure. <laughs> we jolly are. <laughs> yeah. We jolly are. I imagine even... Well, I can't remember my frame of mind when I first watched this, but I, remember, I must have thought, even at the time, watching this in 98 or 99, this is quite 90s, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Seriously, yes. <laughs> so for me, once the the, the, the the thumping score, the thumping music, the, the drum and bass stuff, just bookends the movie, that's it. It's never in the yeah. movie, aside from no, that. No, no. Um, because it's particularly garish at the end. It feels so out of place at the end. What pr- the yeah. prodigy? The prodigy at the end. It's oh yeah, it feels song, so out yeah. of place. Yeah. Sorry, forgive that. my lack of musical knowledge, but that, that it yeah, doesn't. It's, uh... Oh no! If you, uh, I imagine if you like the prodigy, I... then then it. Well, be I, I think it's what because back in those days, it was film music was film music. It was scored. It was you know you get someone in to write a piece of music that fits the films. Mm. Whereas nowadays, um, it's it's like, oh, I'm just going to rifle through some song, Spotify or whatever, and pick out some songs that make me look a bit cool. Yeah. And it's just needle drop after needle drop. And it, I, for one, absolutely hate this trend. I think it's so detrimental to filmmaking because it makes things just look like music videos. And it's just like, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, yeah. get someone to make some unique piece of music. Don't, don't cut to this popular pop song you've been told to stick on it so it can sell some records for this new hot thing coming out um mm. so i think this was paul w S. anderson's way of going oh i'm gonna show my ta- cool taste in music and he could only do it on the opening credits at the ending credits 
So because <laughs> well, he why... had Michael Kamen on the rest of the score. Yeah, yeah, he's super into dance music. The score is credited to both Michael Kamen and Orbital. I'm assuming Orbital just did the opening. <laughs> they would have done, yeah. It's very that Orbital. It. And then, yeah, Prodigy at the end because um, he was, yeah, being British, because he's English, isn't he? Paul Dewey yeah, Johnson. yeah. So mm. he loved Prodigy and wanted to put them on and it coincided quite nicely because um, they became quite popular in the States just around this time. Yeah. So they would have got a treat if they would have gone to the cinema to watch it, but no one fucking did. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I I was immediately taken in with the visual effects, models and matte paintings, and pretty good. I think it's I think it's a great, it's a really great looking movie for me. Um, When you say sixty sixty million, um, I was surprised. Um, because sixty million is a lot in nineteen ninety seven, isn't it? Um, yes, it is. Yeah. So yeah, it does um, seem quite big. That it does, yeah. But that doesn't mean that I don't think it doesn't look like value for money. I think it, I think it looks a great movie. Yeah, it's all on the screen, isn't it? Because you know, again, I'm not dissing Sam Neill or Lawrence Fishburne, mm. but they're not pulling down twenty million dollars a movie. So it's not gone on the cast. The, I don't know Sean has... Pertwee's twenty million dollar. Yeah. Purse. Yes. <laughs> Jason Isaacs is a proper diva. <laughs> <laughs> so that's no disrespect for either of those people. There's a couple of fesps in um, in Event Horizon. Yeah. Um, yeah, so it's all on the screen. All the budget is on the screen for sure. Mm. If I could just jump while we're talking about the actors as well. the With these movies, they're only ever going to be as good as how much the actors invest in them, aren't they? You know, like how yeah. straight they play it. And everyone gives it the absolute full beans. Yes. The total full they beans. Do. And do. that's, that's spoiler alert, that's why I think it works. You know, it's, it's one of the main reasons it works, to be honest. Well, it's a bit of a bold move in itself, putting Lawrence Fishburne front and centre of this film. And he's fucking great in it. He's so it's good so above it. and beyond what the material yes. requires. Yeah, like. he's so good in it. He has some terrible dialogue to deliver in this movie, and he sells every line of it. It's honestly, so I, good. He, I, honestly, he, he. This I've never seen him better. <laughs> honestly, I, I think this is his finest role. <laughs> I do. I don't think it's his finest part, but I just think that what he's done with the material he's got here is nothing short of brilliant. Yeah, there's just a, a good like lit stack of actors, especially when you look at the credit list, like into through the eye of 2022. Oh, yeah. Where you've got Jason Isaacs is in it, who probably wasn't as big a name back mm. then. Jolie Richardson's in it. You know, she's a mm. she's a good actress. It's just, it has got some real, you know, decent names in there who, who as you say, Rob, they do all put everything into it. And yeah. they, do, they do play it straight. And I think that makes it work. Because it is a bit of a preposterous idea. I mean, it of course is, it is. It does go a bit like, um, sort of... Sh- schlocky in, in, in some respects in terms of the horror and stuff, but the way they perform and deliver the stupid lines, it really does lift it. They're great. No, they absolutely are. And I think as well, like you were talking about the, the idea, you know, when you're given, if you're an actor and you're given this role, right, hey, you know, like, would you like to be in this movie about, um, so it's a sci-fi thing, <laughs> and this spaceship gets goes so deep into space that it ends up in hell, essentially. And it comes back and things are terrible. Would you like to be in that? And I'm thinking like, that will give me all sorts to work with. That'll be a load of fun doing that. Let's do that immediately. Let's. That's at the top of my list of things <laughs> I want to do. And and when you put it like that, like 
It's a great story as well. I want to read a story about that. A spaceship that goes and tears so deep into space it gets to hell. <laughs> yeah, I think I think the like the little the opening sort of on-screen text which pops up, you know, which sort of gives a potted history of space travel. Mm. You know, of what happened. Because, I mean, it's not that too distant in the future now, is it? It's something like 2047 or something like that. Yeah, I'm looking forward to the moon colonies and the mining on Mars. What what, 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 what year was the moon col- colonies again? Oh, I think we missed that. 2015. 2015, wasn't it? How yeah. <laughs> oh, was it? Wow. So, like... How useless are we? <laughs> yeah, I love that, like... The little potted history is, like, really good. And then it's this, you know, the, the, the teasing the mystery of it where it's, like, oh, an exploration vehicle goes missing without a trace mm. and they're like oh it's the the biggest space disaster ever it's a good setup it is a really really good setup. Yeah, yeah. it, Super, it proper it? gets you right into it you know after being pummeled with <laughs> orbital for the first <laughs> five minutes <laughs> you are kind of pulled in and 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 yeah just, just what is it about um space movies and sci-fi movies where they just don't age like no. you've got this incredible model work, as you said, and like two thousand and one with the model work in that, yeah, it still looks absolutely sublime. Still absolutely immense. Yeah, what is it? Twenty five years ago? Is it because we don't have any reference for it? I don't know. I, I really don't because there are some pretty, you know, there's there's sort of primitive CGI in this, isn't there? Yeah, now yeah. and again that pops up, but it's not really reliant on it. It's just like here and there. It's more models, isn't it? Yeah, it mm. is more models, and the design of the, the ship as well. The design of the oh, it's amazing itself. It? We don't actually see the um, the what's the 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 Lewis and Clark. We don't actually see that. I don't think outside. No. Have you seen my name name tonight? Uh, no. What is it? Oh, your name's not there. Clark. <laughs> You're the Lewis to my Clark, so. Oh yeah, I am. I, I should have been. I didn't think of that. Actually. Absolutely Sorry. awful. <laughs> What's the Lewis and Clark thing? Because it's not an, something wrong, is it? If it's Superman, it's Lewis and Clark. Oh yeah, what is yeah. that? Is it a reference to something else? Because I don't, I don't understand what, what, why it's called the. Lewis well, I and thought Clark. the Lewis and Clark was the name of one of the ships. No, it? it is. Yeah, but it must be a reference to something else. You know, like how. Prometheus is the name of the ship, and it's all to do with Greek mythology yeah. and what. And Nebuchadnezzar, the ship from the Matrix, yeah. he was the king of Babylon in the Bible, wow. I think, or something like that. So much stuff I don't understand. <laughs> but it must be a reference to something because it can't it can't be a, a a mistake, surely. Oh no, it wouldn't. Be. So the Lewis and Clark expedition, also known as the Corpse of Discovery expedition was the United States expedition to cross oh. the newly acquired western portion of the country after the Louisiana Purchase. So there you go. There you go. An explorer shit, I get it. Reading directly off Wikipedia, that is top grade podcasting. <laughs> <laughs> Live research. Good. Well, I, I needed to know because I was like, I, I was like, why is it called the Lewis and Clark? Because immediately I thought Superman, but was like, but it's Lewis, not, not Clark. Oh. <laughs> It's my, my poisoned comic book brain. But like the, in terms of setup, we are drawn straight into this. And I think, again, this is it. Listeners, filmmakers, writers, whatever you want to talk. 90 minutes. You can do a movie in around 90 minutes. You can do yep. it. There's nothing to be scared of here. You can do a story in 90 minutes. You can do a genre movie in 90 minutes. Yes. Yeah. I think you do any movie in 90 minutes. <laughs> 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 <But> like, <laughs> 
<laughs> and I'd prefer it if they did because that would make everything a lot easier. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I kind of want to see the longer version of this, to be honest. I so want to see it. I think yeah. you're going to dumb another minutes, 15 minutes. Like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think there's no, there certain continuity moments in the second half um, where I had no idea what was going on. Like, there's one moment where Lawrence Fishman is talking to someone and he's like, oh, he's talking to Weir. And he's like, we're not getting off this ship, Doctor. No, we are getting off this ship, Doctor. And then the next shot is him running down a corridor. Like, what? Where? where? What? How do we get where? I, I, and I think, James, you mentioned it before about him saying, oh, they, they pro- did a proper rush job cutting out all the bits for the studio. Yeah. Mm. And they probably did too much because there are some pretty harsh cuts in it. And then there are some where it just like fades to black and fades out and it just doesn't really make yes. any sense. There's it feels like you're missing like a real big chunk. And it is kind of noticeable <laughs> to the detriment of the film, I think. I think Oh I agree. Yeah. If you're if you're putting those bits in I mean it doesn't need to be 130 minutes long. Of course it doesn't, but just that extra ten minutes, such of 10, 15 minutes that was sort of unnecessarily taken out just to plug those gaps. Yeah. And you've got a solid movie. I do get the impression with Paul Anson, and I've got no, I don't know a lot about him, only that he puts a lot of stuff out. He works very quickly. Mm. And sometimes, well, some people would would argue all the time, he's a little bit slapdash. Mm. Just sort of a bit of a chancer, bit of a, oh, that'll do. Mm. Whereas I, I don't feel like he has the precision of, his peers essentially is just like <laughs> yeah, oh, they, totally. yeah he, they want half an hour chopping out of this right bosh let's go to work yeah, yeah. <laughs> wasn't it something like they, <laughs> it was from green light to completion it was like 10 months or something. 10 months which is ridiculous which like, is insane geez. for a 60 yeah. million movie Holy with all these hell. effects and stuff it's, it's 10 months and i even think they they chopped the edit window down from like 10 weeks to six weeks or something like that like they proper skimped on, and yeah, maybe that's why the studios like him because he's he's a bit economic with. He can pull it together. Time, he can do a yeah. job. He yeah. finishes on budget, and he puts he puts stuff out, and it's he's usually quite profitable yeah. as well. I mean, I like quite a few of his movies. To yeah. be fair, we've done Mortal Kombat Mortal on this. Kombat. Uh, what a movie! The, the, the movie the movie landscape is better because he's in it. Absolutely. You know what is genuinely really good? I've not seen it for a long time, so it might not be anymore. But the Jason Statham death race that he directed oh, is it good? back in 2008, I remember really enjoying Yes. Wow. There's a, there's a space for it, really. Of course space there is. Like this. Of course there is. Uh, I suppose we best like get into the movie. Like, we've sort of oh, not yeah. really done it. We'll, but we'll rifle through it. So Sam Neill um, is the doctor. Sorry, no, he's the... A creator of a ship, engineer, yeah. I guess, isn't it? Yeah, the, like the head engineer, creator, father of this ship called the Event Horizon. He's on this other ship, which is called the Lewis and Clark. Lewis and Clark. Lewis and Clark thank you very much. Um, which is uh, run by uh, Larry Fishburne, and they've gone out here on this most, you know, the most extravagant rescue mission of all time to try and pull the Event Horizon back. The event horizon has had, it's been floating about in deep space for ages because it's got like an energy core at the back of it, which opens up a gateway to hell. Do I have this? Pretty much, it, yeah. Yeah, it, yeah it, awesome. it, it's, uh, it, it opens up black holes in space, doesn't it? So it can yeah. travel really fast and they opened up a the wrong sort of portal. Yeah, it reappeared after seven years of being missing, essentially. Thank you, guys. Uh, and where this, it this went is, is the... yeah. 
And it's quite clear from the outset, you know, you've got your sort of standard sort of archetypes of um, of deep exploration crew here. They've sort of the very alien adjacent sort of roughnecks in space. Where yeah, like, uh, but it's a mix of blue collar, isn't it? Blue collar and mm. sort of science, and scientists. Science yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, Fishburne is sort of the no nonsense commander in charge. And uh, Doctor Weir, that I found on this watch that the film borrows quite a lot from The Shining, and in one element, yeah, uh, it's quite clear that Doctor Weir is as crazy as a shit house rat from the very beginning. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's amazing. So my notes, <laughs> much from... like Jack Nicholson. <laughs> yeah, yeah. My notes from our first watch of this, getting ready for the first podcast, were that um, oh, he's a lovely hero, isn't he, Weir? Until he's eventually, you know, converted. No. Yeah. No, he's, he's a weird dude. Rocker, he's a massive he? yeah. misread. Yeah, no, yeah, he's, he's a bad dude from the beginning. Yeah, yeah, he's clearly psychologically uh, traumatized by his wife's death. Yes, she keeps well, there's that coming yes. to him, which means we get to hear some uh, <laughs> some hilarious scream all the time, which sort of starts from the back of the auditorium every time. It's like, Oh, uh, <laughs> no! Yeah, uh, so good. I I do love the like, um, you know, the the dream sequence bit. You know, where they're going into hyper hyper sleep to catch up with the because it's past like Neptune or something. So it's like yeah, so far Quite into far. space. Yeah, where they have to go into um hyper sleep and yeah, there's that dream sequence and it's a good tone setter, isn't it? It's like okay, this is. Definitely a horror film more yeah. than a science fiction film because it's got so many like cheap audio jump scares in the first like 10 minutes. Oh, yeah. You've got that lovely, the thing where it sets up the, the story and the history of the Event Horizon or stuff like that and, and where people are at that point. And then you've got, okay, so that's the setting up the in-world stuff. Now let's set up the what film we are stuff with this dream sequence. And it just—it's just a really the first ten minutes. It just gets you straight into what this film is. It is. It's got it? a sci-fi aesthetic, but it's very much a horror film. Yeah, it's a haunted house film, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you can't trust anyone or anything. Um, everything will turn on. You know, like logic be damned. Everything will turn on the spin of a die. Um, yeah, it, it's very much of that ilk, isn't it? Yeah, haunted house horror. It borrows from a lot of films, of course. It yes, does. it does. And, yeah, it's very derivative, but that's fine. I don't yeah, care. I, I like all those like, movies that it's pinching yeah, from. So. We're all remixers. <laughs> Who cares? Yeah. But then I would say equally that the amount of films that I've taken from this film since it was made, and particularly yeah. the the you know we get the scene where Weir is explaining how the event horizon works, and it sort of creates this ripple in space that it can travel through. How many films has that been put in since this one? Oh yeah, it, it was in Interstellar. It was yeah. in Deja Vu. We we covered Deja Vu. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It was, yeah, in, yeah. It was yeah. in Deja Vu, and it's just been in so many serious movies as a concept. And it was it was just some random dude on set, wasn't it, who just came up with the idea because they needed to <laughs> like <laughs> minimize the science. Because there's even in the script, it's all like, can we just put it in layman's terms? Because you're just getting too sciencey, yeah. and then. He just gets a nudie picture and pokes through the woman's boobs. <laughs> that's how he explains. <laughs> it's it's very good. That that's I I, I yeah. imagine at the time that was really overlooked by everyone. Like critics and stuff would have just yeah. overlooked that, thinking it was just a you know a, just a, a bit of sort of um, uh, exposition. 
but it's actually a really smart way to. It's one of my favourite scenes in the yeah, film. It is, really? Yeah, but you, you're exactly right because that that exact same gag with the paper is done in Deja Vu, isn't it? Mm. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. You fold it. It makes sense to me. Right, we're off to the races now. Yeah, here we go. I'm invested. I've got this. I'm in. They get to the event horizon and something goes wrong when they're docking with it and they break their own spaceship, so that needs fixing as well. (laughs) And, uh, you know, it starts a very real ticking clock because there's loads of carbon dioxide in the air, so Mm -hmm. they've got like 17 hours to get in and out. So there's that race against time element to it. And as soon as they get on, everything is not... You know, there's something rotten in the state of Denmark, isn't there? There's, uh... <laughs> yeah, yeah it's, it's it's bad news. That whole ship is bad news. Bad. I'd just be like, I'd, I'd poke in. You see everything sort of floating around. You see there's blood everywhere. It's like, you know what? Forget this. We're not doing this. Yeah, we don't really know at this point, but but Weir is obviously kind of pushing them. Yeah, all onto the ship, isn't he? Through various ways. But how good does the interiors look like? Oh, it's amazing. The, the set's incredible. The sets are amazing. I mean, I don't know who designed the spaceship to make it look so sinister to begin with, <laughs> like in yeah. real terms. Like, oh, I'm going to make this spaceship and it's going to look really scary. And like, Have you ever seen that movie Hellraiser? I'm going to make it look like that. It's like, <laughs> can you not just make it look... We've got to be in this for like about... 50 years can we not just make it look quite homely it's like no it's gonna it's gonna look like hellraiser that should have been the first tip-off that dr weir was an absolute <laughs> lunatic <laughs> no it looks like hr geiger and the tin man spent a weekend at a dirty motel and this <laughs> ship is what came out of it like oh. all the all the corners are all like riveted together you know like the small plates of metal absolutely everywhere the the medical bay medical this place looks like a, a, a dungeon yes yeah, yeah. it's unbelievable and then the walls themselves and then we get down to like the, the the set design of the core is yeah, it's amazing. It's yeah. absolutely it's one of the greatest yeah. ever created, ever created. Yeah, yeah. It's it, and it's super iconic as well. Yeah, it is no surprise to hear that Clive Barker was a consultant in pre-production because it does have a lot of his that sort of gothic um, horror sensibilities in terms of how yeah. everything looks, and you know, apparently it was that that sort of core was based on the. The like little box from Hellraiser. Wow! But yeah, it's it just looks great. I mean, it's very impractical. If you putting that in the real world, you're like, this is who's designed this. But in terms of the film, <laughs> yeah, and, it's very uh, aesthetically from a, yeah, from a creative point of view, it's bloody lovely. It's yeah. so good. so many options with that, isn't there? Because it looks so dangerous as well. <laughs> <laughs> like lots of pointy edges. The corridor where it's like moving sharp metal. <laughs> it's like yeah. if you fall over, you're fucked <laughs> no honestly that 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 rotating corridor of sharp metal i was at a, a a theme park in north devon and they had one of those in a shed seriously <laughs> it's like like this rotating so you walk down the corridor and it's normal it's just like a shed but the walls of the shed spin and a jagged and it's a really weird thing so yeah <laughs> If you want to go to go to Watermouth Castle, is this another in, one of your commissions, Rob? Are you getting a back, back Who else pocket? Are we plug in this week? <laughs> For the real event horizon experience, go to Watermouth Castle. Uh, use the voucher code. It's um, just uh, Junction Twenty Three of the uh, yeah. M60. <laughs> twenty seven of the M5. Junction Twenty Seven of the M5. Voucher code. Where's a wrong gun? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, right. So it, it, we uh, 
We don't pause for breath, and I love this movie for it. Yeah, it just rattles along, doesn't yeah, it? we don't need to pause about it. We really don't really know what's going on. It doesn't don't matter. Care. Look, we've got enough, like... Th- Shit, this... bad, bad things happen. That's essentially... <laughs> yeah, like, and, yeah, and this is one of those those movies where we don't need a pile of character development. We don't need it at all. We've got enough stuff going on with the main two, essentially, which are obviously Fishburne and Weir. And we know sort of like roughly their motivations. We know very, very little else. I actually think films could do with being like this more often where we don't need to go into the backstories for years and years to find out what people are like, to, to care about them. You know, look at what they're like in the present, play them in the present, write them in the present. And we'll care for them anyway. I think they've all got enough personality for that to happen. Of course. Like they're all different people. And I mean, it's like what happens in Alien, where you get their, their personalities just from them all sat around the table having dinner. Yeah. And you get a similar scene in this where they're just sat around the table, and that's how you get their what the characters are like and their personalities. And I think that's all you need in a film like this. I don't think you... And, and then they, they cleverly then use the horror of the ship to then pad that backstory out for the characters so you've got yeah the one with the disabled kid where the, the kid just keeps popping up and yeah. uh miller's his old crewmate who burnt in a ship and he and he left him some of the greatest effects yeah, yeah. and uh, so so it's a way for them to do that in in the in the like horror moments and i, I actually think it deserve a lot of credit for that for both the writers and paul anderson for, for doing that and not not needing to get bogged down in character development because it's all there straight away. Yeah. yeah. And it's not what you're there for either. You're there for the thrills and the gore and the um and the horrendous way in, in which most of these uh, characters are murdered. <laughs> Isaac's, Isaac's death is that's I'm not sure what happened there, to be honest. Because he I think that's where most of the stuff got cut out, you know, when he uh, submitted it for rating. Yeah. Because he's like on the operating table and then obviously takes a scalp of Sam Neill, who's gone absolutely mental at this point, and gouged his own eyes. Has he gouged his own eyes out? He has this, gouged his own eyes. He has, yeah. yeah. We need to point out that the, the ship, um, obviously, is sort of like, it's now a vessel for hell, essentially. It needs a yeah. new captain. It decides that Sam Neill is the one. Absolutely, yeah. So he gouges his own eyes out. And he think he's sort of motivated to this point because he thinks that he'll be reunited with his wife who committed suicide because he was always working all mm. the time, apparently. Mm. Awful scene. And another chance for him to do his, Oh, God, no! <laughs> <laughs> no! <laughs> like, I don't think Sam Neill is very good in this movie. but Right, that's a enough. Like, a bit like with, uh, with Tom Hanks and the Elvis movie, the fact that he's quite terrible actually improves the movie markedly. <laughs> like, well, he's the pantomime not... villain of it, isn't he? So Yeah, yeah. yeah he's proper panto as well. It's very he? entertaining. I'm yeah. not sure that it's his most nuanced work, but <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's very entertaining. Um, and I enjoy I'm You know, I'm cackling, laughing at some of the stuff that he does later in the movie. It's, it's really good fun. But yeah... Um, Justin is the first victim, isn't he, of the event of <laughs> when he puts himself in the airlock with no suit on, and that's pretty, pretty gross. <laughs> oh, it's horrendous! It's very the his arms, the veins on his arms, you know, like where yeah. the skin gets all <laughs> the vacuum yeah. in in his own body. Puts, tightens his skin up. Oh, it's horrendous. And Fishburne going, Justin! 
just do brilliant. it. Hilarious. <laughs> Laughed out loud at that moment. It was so good. Oh, can we not? Can we not like do a remix somehow of Justin and <laughs> Sam Neil going? <laughs> no. Oh! <laughs> There's a, there's an Ibiza dance track in this somewhere, I think. <laughs> this one goes out to Justin <laughs> Freeman. This one's to you for all the victims of the Event Horizon. <laughs> this one's for Baby Bear. Why do they call him Baby Bear? Yeah, I don't understand. Mama Bear, Mama Bear. But that, that bit where Justin suddenly snaps out of his weird possessed thing and he's in the airlock and he's really confused... I think it's a really good acting because he's like yeah, proper, is, yeah. he's just screaming, isn't he? And all of a sudden, he just goes, oh, "Where am I?" And it's like, "Ah, oh, oh no, he's he's about to get sucked out of the airlock, and he's got no suit on." Yeah, and turned inside out. Oh, like Jason yeah. Isaac is like, uh, if the airlock opens, he's going to be turned inside out. <laughs> <laughs> so in fact. Thanks, Jason. <laughs> yeah, thanks for your input. When he's the guy that ends up getting turned inside out as well. Spoiler alert. Yeah. Go, and, go and watch it. It's on Netflix. It is on Netflix. Yeah. And Paramount Plus, if you also have Paramount Plus. Oh, it's on there as well. Double bingo. Double bingo. <laughs> Where is the director's cut, though? Who's got that VHS Come on. And the director's cut? <laughs> I want that. From there, I mean, from there, I mean, this this is a roller coaster, and it's designed as a roller coaster. Yeah, people just get picked off in horrendous ways. And it's yeah, clear that that's like a slasher movie at this point, isn't it? Everyone's yeah, just getting picked off. Yeah, basically, Fishburne wants to blow the goddamn thing up and uh, and leave, and Doctor Weir will not allow him to, mm. and uh, he gouges his eyes out, and it sort of gives him supernatural powers that aren't explain but you know i'll go with it it's fine <laughs> yeah um, and, and yeah and then he turns on the crew and he's like he can see them even though he's got no eyes and uh he starts saying like really weird shit constantly yeah <laughs> like, yeah. i keep going do you see yeah. do you see <laughs> Again, it feels like there's something massively missing and there is a scene as well because he there kind is, of yeah. he has that bit with miller in the corridor where they sort of realize Miller realizes they need to get off, you know, his whole like fuck this ship scene. Oh, that's where they so realize good. that where they have to get off it. And then Weir is like, no, we all have to stay. And then that's where he's like, oh, he's this is the he's the bad guy now. <laughs> but then there's a scene immediately after when the what's she called? The woman who Peters. Yes, oh. Peters is the one with the with the son, yeah. Yeah, so Peters finally gets she finally suffers death from this, this <laughs> all this thing of the sun and then you've got that scene of we're being the bad guy but then it cuts to the next scene and he sees peters and he's like oh no peters and he's oh, like no, care, tending for her at the bottom of the ladder and so he's like but you're the bad guy why do you care i don't know you're me. right there is a missing bit and also in that moment he gives the, one of the best line readings ever like peters no <laughs> <laughs> this is brilliant it's super. I, I feel that scene was was like should have come a bit earlier. I feel it was in the wrong place because it's like yeah, it was so weird how that how that was cut where it was like oh weird bad guy he's disappeared into the shadows. Oh no, he's know, being nice again. Like all of a sudden, it's so funny when he disappears into the shadows because he's had this standoff with Miller. They're about two feet apart from each other, <laughs> right? And then Miller's like, "No, we're getting the fuck out of here and we're going home," right? And then he goes, "I am home." 
and he disappears into the shadows. He's like a yard away from him. It's like, well, you, need su- you need supervising. You've lost the plot entirely here, right? So I sort of judge Miller a bit for not going, right, you're coming with me. I am not letting you out of my sight. You're up to something. Yeah, surely there's some sort of like quarantine room or like a prison, like a jail or something. You can just bung him in while well, Absolutely, yeah. Absolutely mental. But it's like all these sort of like imperfect moments and weird sort of logic leaps it's kind of why i like it i think we've sort of touched on this before the fact that is a bit crappy in places sort Mm. of makes it better because even those bits are massively enjoyable (laughs) yeah because they're either unintentionally funny or um like i say it's just clearly been edited at a hundred miles an hour and it's just like cut 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 (laughs) (laughs) to make the release date and uh yeah it's just uh it's very slapdash but put together with such energy and enthusiasm that i'm sort of happy to go with it wherever it goes like and then we get to the big crescendo don't we half the crew's dead (laughs) cooper like gets blown out to space but then manages to propel himself back yeah yeah Oh, that's. I mean, there's got to be some extra material on that moment, <laughs> please, to explain that's what's a movie going in on. Itself, well, he is. Yeah, he's the comic <laughs> relief, isn't he? He Girl is. Cooper. He is. Because he's on the Lewis and Clark, isn't he, with Smitty, yeah. which we're blows up to completely keep the crew on the event horizon. And yeah, he just gets blown into space. He's <laughs> <It's> like, shit. <laughs> <laughs> and he's on a hunk of debris going like, how do I get back? Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> is it when, when he when he does his like his air he's like jet, when he decompresses his air to get back to the finger then he blow he blows off the the debris and he's like I'm coming for you motherfucker <laughs> <laughs> so ridiculous and then where's like gouged his eyes out and he's in the captain's chair and he's like standing off with uh, Jolly Richardson and um, and Fishburne's characters and then Miller just appears at the window and there's no sound in space but they all turn around like when he hits the window <laughs> like he's a bird that's just flown into the living room window <laughs> and then he fires Sam Neill fires like a harpoon gun at him which smashes the glass and everyone starts getting sucked out but can still breathe for some reason even I yeah I don't understand I, I, I really don't understand why they're all like gasping like <gasps> diving about grabbing things trying to stay alive when it was happening I was thinking like Sam Neil can't go out like this this is this is too tame but obviously he comes back doesn't he yeah he gets sucked out and then he makes his way back in somehow because he's I don't know the devil now or what <laughs> <laughs> Again, things that aren't explained, but I don't mind. I literally don't care. I don't mind. It's all fine. It does get away with it, though, doesn't it? As stupid as these moments are, like it doesn't make any sense. It doesn't stand up to a second of scrutiny. But boy, is it good! (laughs) Yeah, the, the more that you talk about it like this, it's like. This is great garbage. It really yeah, is. Somehow, yeah, yeah. this is like elite level brilliant garbage. Um, mm. It should not work. But because of the endeavour of the cast and crew, uh, and I don't mean the crew of the Lewis and Clark, I just mean like they're terrible. The, the, <laughs> the, the cast and the, and the, the behind the scenes endeavours that are going on here, I just can't help loving it. I can't help it. The crew of the ship still aren't as stupid as the ones in Prometheus and bloody Alien Covenant. <laughs> Absolute idiots. <laughs> <laughs> I 
I don't know. They did ignore a voicemail from hell in this one. So, well, yeah. <laughs> oh, and on that, just before we start wrapping up the movie, the footage of the crew in hell and the previous Oof. crew of the event horizon. It's only shown in little snippets, mm. but. My word, that's pretty visceral. But the, stuff, the orgy, the the weird blood orgy that's going on, because there's like a it's... flash of it, and they're all naked, and yeah, and they... eating limbs and stuff like yeah. that, and yeah. ripping each other's it's, eyes it's, out. And... It's poor scenes, yeah. but it's a pretty good depiction of of hell in a movie. I well, maybe think, think of like, like that, um, uh, like the whole sort of like Sodom and Gomorrah thing, but also um, society. You know the movie Society. Yes. Mm. Made me think of all that, like you know, if you can have a homage to that, possibly this might be it. I don't know, but yeah, it, truly heinous images. Yeah, very quick as well. So it's not, it doesn't. But yeah, I imagine there was a lot more in the original cut, which is uh, which mm. had to make way. Yeah, most of it because there's quite a few of those little like quick cut montage bits where mm. it seems like it would have been a big setup to film, and then it's only in the final cut for like. Seconds, five seconds, definitely. Like um, and the moments of pure gore are amongst those. That the visceral moving gore is happening in those moments. Um, there's awful like sort of like standing still gore moments almost, isn't there in the other ones? But um, I didn't want to pause any of those moments. No, at all, because I didn't know. I didn't want to see what was going on. What I did want to say, though, was whether Sam Neill was fully nude in those scenes at the end. <laughs> so I did pause those and saw that he was wearing an immense, like, loincloth thing oh. that had the, the scars in it. You know, for, like the scars that his whole yeah. body was covered in. I mean, that's not explained either. He turns into some weird sort of Hellraiser creature and he yeah. gets his eyes back as well. Yeah, he does yeah. get his eyes back, yeah. Look at my knob. Do you see? <laughs> <laughs> very, very dollar hide. Do you see? Do you see? Do you see? Do you see? <laughs> We're going to hell now, Captain do you... Miller. Do you see? <laughs> <laughs> and and then we get one of the greatest ever movie sacrifices of all time. Oh, um, surely <laughs> nothing quite like. Over-egging it, rather than great. <laughs> the, the dude sends himself to hell to save his crewmates. Only two of them, as well, three of them, three crewmates. Yeah, he'd yeah. rather go for eternal damnation and the horrors that he has seen than let his crew suffer. That is, that is big sacrifice yeah. action. Good dude, good captain. Good dude, good captain. <laughs> what an understatement. <laughs> I mean, like, to, I love, I love Fishburne <laughs> sacrifice. I love like um, all the, the the sound effects when he gets bashed across the room by his like crispy mate who pops up. Oh yeah, <laughs> um, because it's just like it's like proper basic stock sound effects, like whoosh, <laughs> when he hits oh, the yeah. side. I, I I think this is the weakest part of the film. This ending, I feel, I feel the that his burnt mate is a bit weird, and um, <laughs> yeah. It sets itself up to be so epic and then it just kind of whimpers out a little bit. I don't know yeah. whether that was they ran out of time or whatever. But I do love the the, the concept of it, how... Because you've got the design of the Event Horizon. It's great. And it's like two ships, basically, isn't it? Joined together yeah. by a big mm. walkway. And then Miller plans to blow that walkway up, up while the one part of the ship with the core in goes to wherever it's going. And then the crew are in the other bit to get rescued. 
and I just love the plan. The plan is wicked. Um, yeah. But Fishburne, unfortunately, has to sacrifice himself and stay in the other end with the core and go back to hell or wherever it is with Weir and his, his burnt mate. <laughs> but Weir's like, did he destroy the core, though? So they didn't, because Weir's like, no! He's on fire, isn't it, at some point? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Maybe they just blow up in space then, I guess. Unclear. Yeah. <laughs> But there's there's another great montage in this bit as well, where he because he shows him what it's going to be like, doesn't he? And it's like a, a quick cut of um, all his crew in yeah. that hell. So again, you know, must have cost took a lot to film it and and what have you. And it's just flashes. Yeah. But I thought that was really good. Mm. It's essentially one of those everyone's wrapped in barbed wire. It's like yeah. a, um, a death match between Terry Funk and Hell in a Cell, WrestleMania. <laughs> Yeah, no, it's good. And then, uh, um, and yeah, and you've got the three survivors then Cooper, Justin, and Stark, is it? Who, who get away, the three of them. Yeah. Mm. And then there's the lovely little epilogue where they get rescued. And it's like, oh, thank God they're all good. And it's, it's, um, <laughs> Hellraiser Sam Neill in a rescue outfit. <laughs> <laughs> But it's all right. It's a dream. Don't worry about it. Yeah, and then it bangs out. to um, Prodigy. <laughs> this is, it's one of the funniest, you know, like after that, because uh, it's hellacious, very literally, what happens at the end. And then, like, what? Whoa, whoa, my head. I can't deal with this. Um, and the, yeah, the credits roll. Um, I'm so sorry. I've just read it on the IMDb trivia that um, the, the, the footage that they did of the hell sequences that was part of the, oh, the the recovered tapes was shot on weekends by um, Paul W S Anderson uh, and Vadim Jean Jean, and it was they just got in a load of real life amputees and porn stars and wow. covered them in blood and makeup, um, and. <laughs> Um, the the line from the producer Jeremy Bolt was, "If you're going to hell, you've got to do it. You can't tap dance." Fair play. Oh my god. Shishi wishi. That is, ugh, goodness me. But then again, like um, so I, another thing I just saw was that the reason for all of this was because um, there was a delay with Titanic. Paramount were bringing out Titanic due for July '97. Delays meant that they went for December '97. They offered it to yeah. To Event Horizon, can you make it for yeah summer July '97? Wow! And they said, "Yeah, why not? Why not?" And that's why everything was a little yeah hodgepodgey. Um, so right, let's talk. Let's talk favorite bits, best bits, James. So I do really enjoy when Larry Fishburne uh, says he's going to blow up the uh, the Event Horizon and uh, make sure that it's fully vaporized, and then he puts the button on it and goes, fuck this ship. <laughs> we might have to just drop that in. It's like, fuck this ship. It's just <laughs> absolutely brilliant. Yeah, it's hard to ignore that for me. Out of the uh, demise of the crew, big fan of uh, Peter's doing a swanton dive off the... Uh, <laughs> through that big hole in the floor and hitting, like, a few walkways on the way down and then just and it's just like really gory how she <laughs> lands in the I don't just, why is it like, so much blood she, ex, she explodes as she yeah. hits the yes. water I don't know why 
yeah, it's quite gratuitous, but also quite enjoyable. So, uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's uh, every time Sam Neill screams as well. And <laughs> do you see? Do you see? <laughs> <laughs> no, no. Superb. Uh, so, what is your favourite bit? I mean, like. As a general, I just love all the exterior shots of um, the Event Horizon. I, I just think the model yeah, photography super, is so yeah. good. Really super. So, so good. It sits alongside 2001, to be honest, in terms of that specific aspect of it. Not the film itself, obviously. No, excellent. I love that. I love that. Because you can look at the separate elements of a film and put them alongside other... Yeah, it just it just looks so good, and it, it means that it ages really well as well. It's like what twenty five yeah, so years good, old, yeah. and it still looks brilliant. Ironically, Kubrick was shooting Eyes Wide Shut on the stage. He next was. Door oh wow! Harrison's production. I couldn't believe when I when I read that this was entirely a UK production. Everything was done yes. in the UK. Mm. It was all shot here. All the post work was done by UK VFX houses. Um, but yeah, very surprised to, to mm. hear that. I think it's the lighting for me. The lighting in this is the lighting on the model work as well. It's just that good. I think, like in terms of a look of a of a sci fi horror movie, you know, it, it looks great. Mm. I, I, I I particularly love uh, Miller's uh, captain's chair, which looks massively uncomfortable. But it's just like yes. well, let's have a floating chair at the cockpit. It looks cool. It's like it looks really uncomfortable. <laughs> <laughs> looks like backache. Yeah, I think scene wise though. I really love that when Weir and Miller are in the corridor and um, <laughs> where you realise Weir's not a good guy and he just disappears into the darkness. <laughs> I am home. And then just... <laughs> I love that shot. It's a great shot. As Joe says, it is hilarious how like, Miller would just look and go, I can still see you, you know? <laughs> yeah. like, you're there. You're like, you stood there. You've only took one step back. Um, but it, I just think it's a really good shot. Uh, and how it's lit and how he just disappears. I I think it's great. I, and then that's when it just pivots into even more craziness. <laughs> oh, it's a great fucking movie, this. I absolutely love it. It really is, <laughs> isn't it? Uh, if I can throw in that, I really love uh, <laughs> um, the pure gratuitousness of Isaac's death. The way they find him is it's a shocking oh, scene, yeah. and the kind of scene that you don't often see in movies. That is that is a level of gore above. But uh, if I could, I, I look for you know a real favourite moment was something that pulled on my own heartstrings and pulled on my own nostalgia, and it was at the you know at the very end when um, <laughs> there was the wrapping paper tube fight, um, <laughs> like those tubes that that, that are full of oxygen that yeah. Peters and Smithy were trying to carry. And then you've got <laughs> Weir and and Fishman bonking each other on the head with... It's just like me and my brother and sister on, you know, around birthdays and Christmas with old wrapping paper tubes. Yeah, I've never seen anything like that, so that is my favourite thing. Um <laughs> So let's talk about FYR for your reconsideration. Sai, what about you? Um, yeah, I, I I think it's great. And I certainly don't think it's worthy of the low score it currently sits at on Rotten Tomatoes, um, at least critically. Yeah, you know, it borrows liberally from classic sci-fis like Alien, 2001, Solaris, and then body horrors like Hellraiser and 
you know, haunted house movies like The Haunting. But it also has its own original ideas that has influenced the genre and continues to do so, I think. I think you've seen things pop up, you know, several times. That explanation of light speed space travel with the nudie mag has been done so many times since this film came out. And yeah, uh, Danny Boyle's uh, Sunshine, which we covered on this pod previously, which I, I love that film as well, owes a lot to this to Event Horizon. I think I think that has it does. inspired a lot of that as well. It does have some really shitty dialogue, <laughs> um, and it does turn really sharply into different genres. You know, the drop of a hat here and there. But for me, this adds to like the intrigue of it. I think that makes it, it keeps you on your toes, and it does add to the madness of it that's going on in the ship. It's obviously nowhere near something like an alien, but it's definitely one of the better sci-fi films of the 90s. Um, And it's dated so well, which is so rare for a movie that relies so much on visual effects. You know, the production design, the sound design, apart from at the end where he dies into the stock a bit. Um, They're just so high-end, I think. Um, And the acting's great. I think Fishburne absolutely kills it. He's he's so good leading this movie. Um, So yeah, for all those reasons, I, I think it's a Definitely deserves reconsideration. It's fucking top notch. I agree. I totally agree. Um, I, when I first watched this as part of the reappraisal three years ago, it was like I'm thinking about what could have been, and now I'm thinking about what is. It's a load of fun in its present state. It's an absolute load of fun. It looks brilliant. It's it's one of the best looking ninety minute movies I've ever seen. I think seriously. The cast are universally brilliant in their, you know, because these movies plain don't work if you don't swing for those fences. Mm. And these people swing for the fences. Um, Fishburne, I'm serious. I think he's as good as he's ever been in this movie. (laughs) And he certainly gives um, a human gravitas to this that is much, much, much needed. Um, I'd love to see the full cut to fill in those blanks. I'd love to. Would love to, but I'm not. I'm not mourning it. I'm not. I'm not. You know, feeling about what could have been. <laughs> it's a Ron Seal kind of movie. It promises so much. You know, it does exactly what it promises. It really, really does. Um, it, it, look, this is a, It's just a lot of fun. This is a great movie. Don't expect something that's going to change your mind. Um, if you have already made your mind up or you already saw, saw it years ago, but do go in there and, and just. Enjoy a movie that goes and knows what it is, has a lot of fun while it's doing it, executes perfectly, and um, delivers. Bottom line, it delivers. And uh, yeah, it's on Netflix, so it's not going to cost you anything. Go and watch it. Outstanding. Mm. Yeah, so obviously this movie's absolutely wicked, and you guys have covered a lot of the points that I wanted to say there. I would like to just point out the tagline for the, on the poster for this movie, Infinite Space, Infinite Terror. Just well done. Yeah, it, 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 it says it's a Ron Seal sort of movie. Yeah, it does exactly what it says on the tin. Um, what I would like to leave you guys with is a bit of trivia that I found. So Ooh, yeah. director Sorry. Paul W.S. Anderson said the movie's cult status was predicted to him years before by none other than Kurt Russell. Anderson screened Event Horizon before they started work on Soldier, and Russell said, forget about what this movie's doing now. In 15 years' time, this is going to be the movie you're glad you made. And if anyone knows about films becoming cult hits after they've come out, it's Kurt Russell, and he was absolutely right in that respect. What a really was, yeah. 
because he's obviously still in that point where everyone's going, oh, the thing's amazing. Oh, Escape from New York's amazing. Yes. <laughs> like very much at 1998. So, um, so yeah, um, he predicted it. And it's glad that it's sort of been reestablished as a cult favourite. And, uh, yeah, it's just a ton of fun. It's really, really good. Oh, nice. In a crappy sort of way. But it's, it's great fun. Yeah. But, but I want to watch it again now. Yes, you know, like it's yeah. yeah. No, I I love that. Uh, thanks for bringing this back to us tonight, James. Really, no really worries. enjoyed I'm glad it. We'd and be able to get it out. It's so nice to finally square the circle. Is that an expression yes. that works? No idea. Um, but we we got over the line in the end. Three years in the making. <laughs> uh, the lost tapes of FYR. Um, super stuff, fellas. Um, next time out, it's your pick, isn't it, Sai? Oh shit! It is. I haven't got one. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I totally forgot it was my pick. Uh, Listeners, you you should have seen this look on his face then. Seriously, it was uh, a picture. Why didn't I? I've been so busy. Um, hang on, hang on. I'm gonna I'm gonna pluck one randomly from my. Oh yeah, um, I'm gonna do one. I don't. I I I haven't strictly checked if it qualifies, but I feel it's a film not many people have seen. Um, so I'm gonna do Frailty. Which is the Bill Paxton ah. directed movie starring Matthew McConaughey? Ooh. Oof! Yeah, that's the reason I'm going to pick that because I'm not Never sure it's a popular and, movie. Yeah, absolutely fascinating. Um, obviously, when I typed in frailty on uh, Google, then it asked whether I needed help from ageuk.org. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so yeah, fascinating stuff. Can't wait to do. Um, Brilliant. Well, um, once again, Sai, welcome back after your nuptial feast. Oh, thank you. And your, thank you. your, and who said your Hollywood honeymoon? You didn't go to Hollywood. I mean, I may as well have done. I went to Planet Hollywood. Uh, oh, nice. In Mexico. It was so babyish. It was so American, but I absolutely loved it. It was really good. Oh, it was like incredible. Mexican guys walking around dressed as Superman. It was brilliant. Now that sounds like something I I could really get into. Uh, sorry, that sounds a little bit weird, um, fellas. It's been a pleasure as always. Tune in next time for Frailty. Please uh, hit us up on the Twitters, uh, as usual, at FYR Film Pod. Please give us five stars on your subscription service of choice. And, yeah, just have a lovely old time until we meet again. Say goodbye, boys. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye-bye-bye-bye. Take it easy. Don't shoot hellacious, Hieronymus Bosch-inspired... Snuff movies at the weekend, like Paul W.S. Anderson did. <laughs> that's, that, for me, that's dedication. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Oh!